Well, restoration since I've had the fun of coming over here. So uh, while I am saddened that Anthony had to take another week off, I am happy to see all of you. You're my second church home and uh, I'm excited to share what I have today. And the impetus for the, the message that I have today has come from bunches of conversations that, that I've had with people. It just seems to be a sense that people feel like they are, are, are being pressure to do more and more, to make more and more commitments with their time. And at the same time, there is a sense of feeling distant from God, like wondering how he is active in their lives and not necessarily sensing as intimately as they would like his presence in, in what is, go is going on. And at the same time that I'm having these conversations, I have been fascinated with the book of Mark. I have been immersed in, in this. I'm, I'm writing a book about Mark. And it, it, when you read through that book, if you sit in one sitting or two sittings and read through, you notice that, that the, the, the disciple who wrote that gospel uses the, the word on the way repeatedly to, to talk about discipleship and to talk about, about Jesus. And so there's this way of the disciple that is presented by the stories that are, that are linked together to form the book of Mark. And so also in there, there's the idea of a path or a journey, and all these things go together. And what, what, what it caused me to think is, if there's a path, if there is a way, then that means I need to be taking steps, right? I need to be putting one foot in front of the other. Following Jesus means that I am, I am moving in a direction, and I am moving in the same direction that Jesus is. And so because of all these conversations I have with people, the, the, the question that has arisen is, what is the next step that I should be taking with my time? Right, so all of us in here, and we're aware of this in our culture, all of us have different amounts of money, but we all kind of have the same response with, with, with our bank accounts and, and, and our faithfulness to God. We all think if I just had a little bit more money, I could be more generous, right? Like I, I, it's my mindset and I, I know that's the mindset of other people. Meaning if I just had as much money as Bill Gates, right, I could do some good for the kingdom, right? So that's kind of where we, we land with, with money. And we use a similar vocabulary when we talk about time as we talk about money, right? When, when, when we're thinking about what we are going to do, we say we are going to spend our time, right? So we've got this time, kind of got a little account, and I'm going to spend a little bit doing things. Or if I get out of an obligation or if I do something faster than usual, we say to ourselves, oh, I saved a little time. Right? S linking that to this, this idea of, of how we treat our, our finances. If we do something good for ourselves, maybe we take some time to cut some vegetables or we're taking, we're taking a class or something, we say that, oh, I've invested some time in doing something. So there's this similar vocabulary. But the thing about time that's different than, than money is that we all have the same amount of time in a day. Right? None, no one is given any more. All the accounts are the same. And you might be thinking, well, how much time is that, right? I learned something when I was preparing this message that the time it takes for the earth to rotate once and come back to the same position is not 24 hours, as we all think. A, sid a, a, a sidereal day is 23 hours, 
56 minutes and 4.09 seconds. That's how long it takes the earth to go one full time around and be back where it started from. And also, here's an aside, this is fascinating, because of the tides and all the water on the earth, that is actually 1.7 milliseconds longer than 100 years ago. So days are getting longer, okay? But because in that 23 hours and 56 minutes, the earth moves in its orbit around the sun, We define a day as the amount of time it takes the sun to get to the same position in the sky. And that's why it takes a little bit longer for the sun. So that's why we use 24 hours for a day, because we have to take into account the earth moving. But regardless, we we all have the same amount of time. And because I'm kind of bent toward math, Okay, I just wanted to break this down for you. We got 24 hours, but if you want to think of it a little differently, we've all got 1,440 minutes every day. Okay, but if you want to partition that out a little more, we've all got 86,400 seconds in a day. So you have all these little chunks that you can, that you can, you can do something with. But the bottom line and the point that I'm hopefully trying to make here is that we all have the same amount. So as we, as we get rolling here, I want to... Uh, I want to introduce you to a person many of you know, because I've been here, I come over here a lot, and you know that I do discipleship coaching with people. And I want to introduce you to a client that I, that I had in the past. I'm not going to use her real name, so uh, we are going to call her Martha. Okay. Martha, Martha is, I, when I say was, she's not gone from this world. It's just I haven't, I haven't she hasn't been my client in, in, in a couple of years. But Martha was a single, or not a single mom, she was a stay-at-home mom. And she was a stay-at-home mom who, in our conversations, would say to me that she just didn't understand why she wasn't feeling close to God, why she, uh, why she uh, wasn't able to, to manage her day so that she could have time to spend with God. She just kind of felt at, at win, wit's end. So we got together and, and began our coaching relationship, and, I, and some of the first things that I like to do is I, I, like, to, I like to find out what's going on in their, uh, a client's life. I like to talk about how it is that you feel connected to, to God, like what are the things that you can do that really make you sense, sense his pres, presence, what disciplines you practice regularly, all sorts of things. I, I, I take that information. And, and what I then like to do, because coaching doesn't solve the problems, I like to help make a plan. The plan is what solves, solves the problems. And so with, with Martha, we were talking about practicing some spiritual disciplines. And the question I asked her after we had a good sense of that was, okay, when, when are you going to do this? Okay, I like to get super practical. Okay. When during the day are you going to have time to, to, to begin this plan that we just, just made? And here's Martha's response to me. I'll never forget this. She said, well, I usually get up at 5 o'clock, so I'll just get up at 4.30 instead. And I I bet you everybody in here at some point has said something similar about their day. I have something more to do, so the the way I'm going to go about it is I am going to just get up earlier. That's That's how we make time. We try to get rid of something that doesn't seem to, to be working out or doesn't seem to be producing anything. And, and, and the reality is that'll work for two or three or four days. You can force yourself to, to get up and lack a little sleep. But then 
the alarm clock goes off and you're like, oh, I'd just rather, rather have the 30 or 40 minutes, so I'm, go- I'm gonna stay in bed. So what we do when we wanna make time for something is we, we draw from a place where we feel like we're wasting time. We're not being productive. We're not accomplishing anything. So we, we draw from sleeping by either getting up early or staying up, uh, up later. We, 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 we do away with playing. So we, if there's something fun, we say, you know what, I don't need to have fun today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and, and accomplish something. Our spiritual pursuits, like praying, well, again, it's something that doesn't seem to be accomplishing much or producing anything, so it's something that I can, I can forego for a time because I've got to get things, got to get things done. And this doesn't end up working because then we run out of those non-productive times. And that's why we end up with this cycle where we feel exhausted and we, and, and, and we end up with diminishing returns. So what I did with Martha is I had, her, I had her brainstorm what she does with her time. I had her create what's called a mind map, which is just a fancy word for we're going to write down uh, everything that's going on. So I asked her to take a week and to write down in a typical day or a typical week what are all the time obligations that, that she had. And so I've got a picture of, of Martha's mind map that's just about to come up. Okay, so this is the sheet of paper that, that Martha came back to me with. And all a mind map is is in the center, you write what it is you're, you're brainstorming about, and instead of thinking about things linearly because ideas pop into our, uh, our heads at different order, uh, you just you write it in however you think about it. And so you can see the categories of things that, that Martha had in all the lists. And, and she handed this to me, and, and her words to me were, I had no idea that I had so much going on. That changed her perspective. And it caused her to realize that maybe waking up at 4.30 wasn't going to be the long-term solution to this problem that she had with how she was feeling toward God and why she was feeling that their relationship was distant and why it wasn't necessarily a reality in her life. So we've already read this passage, but I want to introduce you to another Martha. And this is uh, found in the book of Luke, chapter 10, 38 to 42. Okay, I'm going to read it again. It's going to be on the screen, uh, but we're going to see somebody else that kind of had a little problem with, with her, her time, and I want to look at how Jesus responds to this. And so reading from Luke chapter 10 says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, so this is, this is not the book of Mark, this is Luke, but also in Luke's imagery, he's, he's presenting discipleship as a way, as a journey, as a, as a progression. Okay, so Jesus is constantly teaching his disciples, and here's another moment that he's going to have, uh, have with them. He came to a village where a woman named Martha and, uh, opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Martha has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. 
Right? I'm, I'm sure you've, you've been to somebody's house and it's just kind of that, that awkward feeling of you're trying to enjoy yourself, but you see uh, the host and a man or woman. This is not necessarily a, a woman issue, even though that's the example we've, we've got here. The host is running around and, and not, not enjoying herself. I, I, when I was making this message, I was reminded of my grandmother. When I was growing up, my, dad, my dad's mom, we would go over to her house for, for lunch or for dinner, and she would spend the entire time walking around this big table filled with family. She'd be yelling, manja, manja. By the way, my grandmother was Italian, okay? Otherwise, I'd just be kind of a, seem like a kind of a crazy thing to be doing. And she'd be putting food on your plate as she was, as she was walking around. You can see the results on my physique presently. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't sit down. She wouldn't, she wouldn't participate. She stayed busy the entire time. And I, I think we all have a picture in our mind of that person who's constantly active. And that probably is, is each of us. Now, again, I said this is not an issue that is unique to women, even though my example from coaching was a woman and my grandmother and Martha in the Bible. I want to show you that Jesus is actually building up and showing how significant women are here. The other picture we have is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is where the disciples were. That's where the, the people who are learning from the teacher would, would have sat. And in that day, women were not taught. That would have been a totally confounding countercultural image to hear that Mary was sitting at the, at the feet of Jesus being taught and that Jesus hadn't told her to go and, and work, uh, work in the kitchen. And so, so keep in mind that th- this teaching here as we're looking at the way of the disciple, Jesus is affirming that discipleship is for everyone. It doesn't matter, man or woman, Jew or Greek, discipleship is something that everyone should be engaging in. So we've got this picture of two sisters. We've got one sister who is busy and distracted, and we've got the other sister who is sitting with Jesus. And we're told that Martha was distracted by all that she was doing. And I just want to remind you that we are all Martha. Right? We live in this culture that presses us to conform to this image that our life is not necessarily meaningful unless we are being productive and we're, and we're creating something. That uh, unless that, that we, we have a good image, that unless we are accomplishing and we can measure our accomplishment, that we are not necessarily a meaningful member of society. It's why we feel guilt when we go to bed early or we feel, we feel like we're being lazy when we need to take a nap or if we just want to sit and have a little quiet time and pray. Why what's running through our mind is that constant list of things that I, that I have to do because we have been conditioned that that's what we are supposed to be doing. So all of us, man or woman, are, are Martha and she's distracted And this word for distracted, what it means is that Martha was literally being pulled in in all directions. So whatever was going on in her house, she was setting the table, she was making the food, she's making sure things are clean, she's showing people uh, into the living room to to see Jesus, but she was overdoing it. She was doing too much. And then we can see the result. 
she is distracted, she's overdoing it, she's made this choice, she's not sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she comes into the room and she points at Jesus and she says, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm the one doing all the work here? Don't you care that my sister has abandoned me? And what are you going to do about it? And this is a common attitude that we have as we follow Jesus. We've been given freedom about what we're going to do with our time. But when we get busy and when we feel distant from God, we get accusatory. God, don't you see that I have nine kids? God, don't you see that, I, that I'm working full time? God, don't you see? And we, we, we stand in accusation. And so one of the truths from this passage is that we tend to heap the responsibility for our choices on Jesus. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Jesus, solve this problem that I made. But no, also notice that Jesus doesn't shame Martha. Right? And, and I, I, as an aside, I want to say that about this message. This is not a shaming exercise. This is not me standing here trying to point out all the ways that, that you and me fail so that we can, we can bow our head and we can feel worthless and, and why even bother? Because that's not how Jesus treats, treats Martha. This is just an issue of awareness. And what are we doing? What is this step that we're, we're going to take? So Jesus points to the truth and, and he points out to her that, that she has control o- over our time or over her time. She doesn't have control over my time, but Martha has control over her time. Now, I, I read a lot when I was preparing this message. I, re- I read a bunch of commentaries. I read other messages and what, what people have to say about this. And, and what our culture says about our time is so conditioned and so ingrained to us that so many teachers and so many commentators try to let Martha off the hook here. And they try to say, well, Martha was really doing a good thing. She, she was serving. She was just serving with a bad attitude. So, hey, everybody, when you serve, serve with a good attitude. And, and, and yes, that's, that's the problem too here. Martha does have a bad attitude. But that's, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not letting her off the hook. And, and where we kind of get this idea to let her off the hook is in, in, in our NIV version here, it's, we're told that Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. And it kind of gives us the sense that there is a good choice, but there's a better choice. So Martha chose what was good, but then Mary, hey, she just chose what is better. But that's not at all what it's saying. What, what, what it's saying is what Jesus' words here say, what was translated what is better, is actually the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion. So that word good we, we, comes off a, as better. And this has, the, this has the image of an offering. Mary's offering is the good portion. In the Old Testament, you would offer the good portion of your crop or your flock, the fat portion. You would offer God the best, not the second fruits, not the what's left over. You would give him what is best. And so Jesus is saying that Mary is giving me the best. She is giving me the good portion. And so for us, as we're thinking about our time, we're thinking about our busyness and our exhaustion and, and our distraction. Discipleship sometimes requires that task be suspended while fellowship with Jesus is maintained. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to tell Martha right here. 
Mary has, Mary has made the, the, the good portion because she has suspended her worry and her anxiety and her feeling like she needs to be productive so that she can rest at the feet of Jesus. And, and Martha had the same choice. M- Martha has Jesus in her living room. And Jesus is surrounded by disciples. This is not just the three of them uh, hanging out together. And Martha was missing this moment because she is being pulled in all sorts of directions. I mean, ask yourself this question. Do you think that Jesus would have been ticked off if Mary had sat? If maybe that meant that there was going to be less for dinner or maybe there was going to be dust on the table or maybe they were just going to have bread? I mean, this is Jesus who, who fed crowds that came just to listen to him. So he was aware of physical needs. This is Jesus who said in John chapter 4 that his nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent him. So, so Jesus puts more of a priority on sitting at the feet of his father. And we're to model that. There's a season for everything. Right? There, there is a time to make the meal. That is, a, that is a necessary thing. But these seasons are not to come at the expense of sitting at the feet of Jesus, at spending time with God, at nurturing that relationship, at taking that step as you follow, uh, follow the way of the disciple. So the question that I'm hoping you'll reflect on as you, as you leave here today and as you think about your time and as you think about what this current condition of your relationship with Jesus is, is well, what are you missing as you try to fill your time? When do you have time that you, you spend without distraction with Jesus? When do you intentionally choose that you are going to say no to the, to the things that we are pressured to conform to because we live in a really, really busy culture and you're going to say yes to, to, to feeding the needs of, of your, your soul. See, when we're left to ourselves, we're just going to go with the flow, right? We're going to blend in. Everybody else is busy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be busy. In fact, just this morning, well, I came over here today. I, I saw this invitation as a gift from God. What I'm going to do after, after church is I'm going to go down to the, the beach. I brought a chair and I brought my Bible. I'm just going to sit there for an hour or two and I'm going to read and I'm going to be quiet because I, I, I haven't done that in a while and I'm, I'm missing that. But as I was coming over here, I, I stopped to have a little breakfast and I'm driving over here. I started to think, well, you know what? I need to wash my car. I need to weed my gardens. You know, the, when, when the weeds are this high and the, the homeowners association is bugging me about it, I need to, I need to do that. I've, I've got some writing I want to do. And I was going through this list and I was like, I'm not a bright guy, right? I'm getting ready to speak to, to a, a church of people about what they're going to do with their time and intentionally making the choice to spend some at the feet of Jesus. And here I am trying to talk myself out of that time that I, I was going to spend. So don't worry, I will be, I will be at the beach, so uh, in, case you, in case you were, were worried. When do you have time that you're not worried about what comes next or what is left undone? I don't think any of us have to worry uh, or, or, or about struggling to be active because that seems to come naturally to, to, to us in, in our society. Our struggle is to focus on what matters, 
And that's what Jesus is telling Martha. Her struggle is to focus on what matters, the good portion. The gift of Jesus being in her living room teaching. The gift of Jesus who, who affirmed women and, and said they were disciples of, of, equal, uh, of, uh, of equal, uh, equal with men. He didn't, he didn't get rid of Mary. And as, a, and as an aside, if you serve in church and, and you are resenting that, the, that there are others and what they're doing and what they're not doing, then you're probably not getting enough of this quiet time at the, at the feet of Jesus. When you are that distracted that you get bitter because other people are, are learning and, and investing in their time with God. And, and then we further compound this problem by neglecting the cry of our soul. We totally ignore it, right? First thing in the morning, or maybe you get home from a busy day. What, 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 what is so often the first thing that, that we do? We turn on the TV, or we, we thumb open our phone, and we go onto Facebook or some news site, or I am presently wasting time playing Tiny Tower, okay? So if you, if you need a game that's going to waste time, don't open up tiny tower please i don't even know why i'm playing it or what i'm accomplishing but we choose mindless distraction and we substitute it for rest because we sense within us that we that we need this rest and so instead of focusing on the good portion we just focus on distracting distracting our brain and what the whole time our soul is thirsting for is to sit at the feet of Jesus and experience the, the true rest that comes from, from being in his presence. I mean, I'm not, not, I'm not giving this message from a vantage point of perfection in this. I struggle with this. I'm a busy guy. I sometimes overcommit myself and then have to go back and say, say no. I have times when I'm, I'm tired and, I, and, I, and I, I practice some mindless distraction. And then at the end of the time, I look back and I go, why did I do that? Why did I, why did I check Facebook for 20 minutes when my Bible is sitting right here? And I could have just read a couple passages and thanked God for, for, for Jesus in my life. It's just sometimes how, how, how it goes, but I'm trying to get better at that. I'm, I'm developing awareness in that, and that's what I'm hoping I'm drumming up in you today. I got another observation about time. I got a different passage that we're, we're going to look at. Now, this passage normally come, uh, it gets used when we're talking about generosity and finances, but I want to look at the attitude of time that we see in the person that is on display in, in this passage. This is in Luke also. It's a couple chapters forward in, in chapter 12. And we are presented with a, uh, we're presented with, with, with a man who uh, has to make a decision about his time. So reading Luke chapter 12, this is verse 16. I'm going to read through 21. It says this, And he, meaning Jesus, Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be 
with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So this, this person had spent all this time making money, right? And we do the same thing when we, when we engage. I've got to support my family. I've got to go to school. I've got, I've got things that I need to do with my time because I'm expecting some benefit to, to come from, from then. Clearly, this man had a lot of time on his hands. And he, was, he asked himself the question, what should I do? What should I do next with my time? And he made a plan. But here's the question I have for you. What is the assumption about his time that this man made? When he says, what shall I do? What's going to happen next? What assumption does he make? Well, he convinces himself that there's going to always be a tomorrow, right? He's not being rich toward God. He's being rich toward himself. He's assuming that there'll be a day later on. And this is the same thing we tell ourselves. You know what? I'm tired right now. I'll pray tomorrow. You know, I will connect with God when things slow down in my life. Let me just get past this next month and then I will read my Bible or have my quiet time or whatever it is that you, you like to do to, to connect with God. And we tell ourselves those things until time absolutely runs out. And, and Jesus said, what God's going to say is, you fool, I gave you the same 24 hours that I gave everyone else and you chose to pilfer them away on things that are not the good portion. Instead of being wise with our time, we try to be efficient with our time. Does anyone remember a bunch of years ago, five, six, seven years ago, people were walking around with these Stephen Covey system planning folders? Anybody remember those? I do, if, if no one else does. So in case you don't, it was like a $500 leather binder for people who were busy. And, and it was supposed to help you be more efficient and make better use uh, of your time. So now, not only am I busy, I have to carry around a 12-pound binder with me that tells me what I need to do. And the implication there is you do have time. You can do it all. You just have to play Tetris or Jenga, whatever your puzzle game is, and you've got to put everything together in, in the right way. So instead of being wise, we try to be efficient. We don't ask the question about, should I be doing these things? Because, again, we live in this, with this fear of wasting time. And we follow this idol of, I've got to make a difference, which is not necessarily the call that is put on, put on our lives. And, and we become, slow but sure, people who are very busy and maybe bu uh, busy doing great things for God, but then we miss out on the good portion. And that good portion will be God himself. You know, at the end of this parable, when, when Jesus said, but is not rich toward God, and I know we like to apply that toward rich toward God with our money, and yes, that is definitely uh, something that he's driving at, but the bigger picture Jesus is driving for is not rich in your relationship with God. Because that's where our generosity, that's where everything comes from, is a richness of relationship with God. And so, so why do we do this? I just want to real quick tell you why we do this. this is, some of this stuff is things that I have brought up before if you've seen me, so uh, tune me out if you want to. Jesus says we're all trees. We know a tree by its fruit. So here's a picture that I, that I drew of who we are. 
Okay, so this is the tree of you. And we all have an identity. We're rooted in something, a place that we draw value. In fact, we usually have a bunch of roots in different things. And as we go up the trunk from our identity in perfect alignment with where we're getting our value from is our, our, our values, our desires, the things, that, the things that, the commitments that we make. And from that comes our, our fruit, our decisions, our behaviors, the way we re relate to others. So our priorities are aligned with our identity. And so then here's how a lot of us live our lives or live aspects of our lives. The next slide. Boom. I like arrows. I'm a mathematician. I told you that before. Okay, so what I'm trying to communicate with these arrows is what we tend to do is we tend to use the fruit to feed our root. We tend to use the things that we do in our relationships to fertilize and draw identity from, to draw a sense of worth from. And so what that means is those values and those desires, the, the priorities that we have, what we tend to do is we tend to, to prioritize things that are going to make us feel valuable and make us feel secure and make us, make us feel comfortable. And at the same time, make us feel exhausted because there's no rest from that cycle of producing fruit and feeding the root and producing more fruit. And so when we make decisions about our time and we commit to things and we say yes to things, we're doing it because we have something about ourselves that we're feeding. We're trying to draw something from that. So when I ask the question, how does saying no to something make you feel? If, if it makes you feel anxious, like you're going to miss out on something, if it makes you feel guilty, like you're going to be letting somebody down, or impossible, like you're pulled in every direction and there's no way to stop, that indicates there is a problem. What are you trying to produce with your time? How are you trying to feed the root? Are you trying to produce attractiveness, achievement, and affluence? Those are the A's. I can put them in R's. Roles, relationships, results. Popularity, productivity, possessions. It's a curse. I can do this with just about any letter. Okay? What are you trying to produce? All those things are things that tear us away, tear our, tear our eyes away from, from Jesus. Here's how our life is supposed to function. When God planted Adam and Eve in the garden, this is what, what he wanted. He wanted identity rooted in the, the image of God. And this is what Mary was doing in our story. Finding worth for who, from who God created us to be. And there alone. Then, our values and our desires, our commitments, the things we say yes and say no to are rooted in the fact that we don't want to be drawn away from God. And then the fruit, the generosity, the things that come out of our life, that stays in line with who we are in Christ. How we use our time, our commitments, our priorities, our yeses, our noes, how we use our time should be a fruit of our identity, not something that supports our identity. And I know, I did this message last week for my church, and so I know I'm creating some defensive people. In fact, some people here are angry. Some people here are not even listening to me anymore. You're filled with the buts. But, 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 Scott. But, but, but. You don't know. I have 10 kids that I'm raising. I'm working full-time. I'm going to school. I want to have some semblance of a social life. The world is going to collapse if I am absolutely not taking control and being in charge of every single, every single thing. What is it that God would say to you if that is the, the attitude? And we just, we just read this in that last parable that Jesus 
Jesus had. God would say, you fool. You're giving up the good portion for all of these lesser things. And yeah, it might be hard to say no. It might be hard to rearrange the priorities. But no one said that following Jesus was going to be necessarily easy. It is possible. Jesus was a busy guy. So here's the last thing that I want to leave you with. In Matthew chapter 8, we've got this picture of Jesus. He's spent the day healing sick people. And as he's healing sick people, the word is getting out about him and he is getting inundated. Crowds are coming and they're flocking around, around him. They're demanding more, more, more. Do this, do this, do this. And it would have been so easy for him to say, ooh, this is affirmation and accolades. I like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. But instead, Here's what he said in Matthew 18. When, the, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus told his disciples, let's all hop in the boat. We've got to get out of here. This is going to pull us from our main thing. This is going to pull us from the good portion. Right? Healing people, that, that is a good thing. Investing lots of time in your kids, good thing. Working overtime can be a good thing. But is it taking you away from, from the good portion? Jesus, his identity is in the Father. And the interesting thing about that, that story, if you read further in Matthew, there comes a storm, Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples go up to Jesus and they say the same thing that Martha said. Don't you care? Don't you care about what's going on ar around us? They were, they were putting everything on, on Jesus. The question for us is, do we believe this? Do we, do we trust that God knows that we have kids to raise and builds to pay and community groups that we want to attend? We all could adjust our schedule if we have the right motivation, if our identity is in, is in the right things. We can do an exam at the end of our day to say, when, when during my day was Jesus the first priority? So I just have two assignments to leave you with if you're, if you're motivated. If anything that I've said here has spoken to you. For a week, keep, keep a journal of the time you spent in distraction versus at the feet of Jesus. If your first reaction to this message is, I don't have time, then actually sit down and see how much time, how much time do you have? And again, don't shame yourself. Don't feel worthless. It's not about creating guilt. It's just about creating awareness. The second thing you do, could do is you can make a mind map or list if you don't like mind maps, if they make you uncomfortable with all the demands of your time and note which ones are drawing you toward God and which ones are pulling you away from God. What obligations do you feel like you have no choice and what obligations did you enter in knowing it was going, going to pull you away? These are good exercises as you're walking the way of the disciple and following Jesus and hopefully conforming into his image. Thank you for letting me come over today. Please pray with me as we, as we get ready to close. God, thank you so much that the Bible is fully relevant to us today and we see Mary and Martha and we are living in a Martha culture. We are living in this culture that uh, is trying to tell me that my worth is in what I produce and what I accomplish. So God, thank you that my worth is in Jesus. Thank you that you have created me and that you love me and you sent Jesus to, to die for me and for everyone in this room. My prayer for all of us, God, is that we would see our time as a gift from you and that we would, we would use it seeking the good portion. 
So thank you for that, and thank you for... Uh, I just also want to pray for Anthony. I pray for him to be back uh, next week uh, and just as uh, vigorous as ever. And I, I know you are faithful to our prayers, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.